I've decided there's something that we're really good at with this podcast. Uh, talking nonsense? Loose facts. No, loose facts we are. Except- <laughs> we're exceptional. Well, one half of us is exceptional at loose facts. Yes. No, we're really, we're really good at doing socially distanced podcasts. Oh, yeah, of course. Because we've been together for the last four days, but now we're apart and we're doing the podcast again. I know. Does that make any sense? Not really. Yeah, well, the one that we did record when we were together, we, I, well, I got the sound all wrong, so <laughs> it sounds much better when we're apart anyway. <laughs> We've been working for a few days together in Manchester for the BBC on the US Open. How was that, how was that experience for you to be covering the tournament remotely? It was great. It was fine. It was absolutely fine. I think. Like, I mean, it's not ideal, obviously, but it's just great that we get to do it. And yeah, I mean, look, we can only see the pictures that come through on the screen, so you can't. So, so if something happens in, well, I was going to say if something happens in the crowd, but there was no crowd. But you know, you can't <laughs> see what's happened. Whereas normally you can look out the window and figure it out. But um, yeah, so you're a little bit at the mercy of that of the producer and director, I suppose, of the uh, the TV shots. But um, ultimately, you don't miss any of the tennis, and the tennis has been fantastic. So, yeah, it's great. So would your example be if a player were to take a ball out of his pocket and throw it behind him towards the back of the court that maybe off your TV screen you might not see it initially? Would that be the perfect example? <laughs> exactly. It was quite challenging, that's for sure. He didn't throw it, he hit it. Um, yeah, of course, that was uh, quite an extraordinary moment. It was, I mean, when it happened, it ju- my stomach just dropped of just, oh no. You just, you knew, like, everybody knew as soon as we realised what had happened, because in the first shot, we didn't see anything. We could only hear her. So we felt like, well, she might be having an asthma attack or something or collapsed for some reason. And then the next shot, you just had Djokovic helping her. So... Again, I was fairly confident he'd hit a ball at her. <laughs> I kind of straight away I was like, mm, it just has that feel to this moment that he's hit a ball <laughs> um and it's hit her. Uh but then yeah, when we got when we got confirmation, I mean, of course it was a, an automatic default. I think I don't think anybody was uh, was surprised at that. Yeah, and no, I I I I don't know what you think, but I don't think there's there's much point you and I spending much time on actually what happened because it was cut and dried and yes there will be fans of his that say he was unfairly treated and I think we can all say that we feel sorry for him because it was an accident but it was the action that was taken it was cut and dried and that had to be the result of what took place with what he did yeah I think that most people feel bad for him in that he it was unintentional he didn't mean it it was an accident but actions have consequences you can't be careless there are plenty of things that people don't mean but we all have a responsibility to each other and he has a responsibility on the court to to those that he shares it with. He's not the only person out there. There are multiple people on the court who are also doing a job and you have to be respectful of that. And yeah, I agree. I think pretty much everything has been said by this point. I was just quite, I found it quite extraordinary, the responses from people who, not necessarily in the tennis world, because I think everybody in the tennis world was just like, well, that's a default. But from people outside it seems like they really thought, and okay, you've got the Djokovic fans, that's one thing. But just in general, it seemed like people really felt like it just, it wasn't that bad and he shouldn't have been defaulted and it was such an extreme reaction and that sort of thing, which I kind of found really strange. I don't know about you, because I, I was kind of thinking about in any other sport, if the play is over, say it's half time in a football match or 
whatever like there's no action happening it's it's stopped and one of the athletes kicks a ball or hits a ball or throws a ball in anger and it hits an umpire or referee in the face or the throat you just surely in every other sport you're getting sent off if it's football or straight away I mean imagine I mean you know far more about football than me but if a footballer did that say the whistle blows for half time and then you just kick a ball in anger and it hits and it just it just you slice it or whatever and it just comes up and it hits the, the ref in the face like surely you're off well that's a big thing as it was being broken down in terms of why it had to happen and and why Novak Djokovic had to go and Soren Frimmel was the US Open tournament referee. I thought it was brilliant. They put him up to some members of the media who could go through everything. And the first thing he said, was the ball hit recklessly and in anger? Yes. Right? So there's the first thing. It was very unfortunate where it struck the linesman. If it had been a few inches to the left, we wouldn't be talking about this. Maybe there would have been a point or a game penalty, but the match would have continued. It was unfortunate where it struck her, but... It was a reckless and angry swipe of the ball with his racket that he took from his pocket. And look, you were commentating on that set. And earlier in that set, he'd thrashed another ball in anger, right? Yeah, it was very weird. It was very weird because he was playing pretty well. Everything was kind of good. Like, okay, PCB was great, of course. <laughs> and he was giving him a really good uh, good run out. And it was tight. And he had the opportunities and he was frustrated. But it was just... You know, it's just one of those things that as a player, you just, you learn when you're young, you know, and sometimes people have to learn harsher lessons than others. Somebody like a Shapovalov had to learn a very harsh, very public lesson as a 17 year old, but you learn it. You do not, you just don't fire balls or rackets or do anything to, in the direction of where there are people. Like you just don't, you, you can slam the ball down into the ground in anger. We see that all the time. You can fire it out into the sky in anger. We also see that. Um, and that's fine. You might get yourself a code violation, but it's fine to vent the frustration. It's like with a racket, you can smash it to smithereens on the court in front of you and you'll get a code violation. But if you throw it to the back and you run the risk of hurting somebody and then you actually hurt somebody, you're defaulted. You're out. Like, that's it. You can't hurt people. Come on. You've got to be a bit more careful about that sort of thing. So, yeah, I did find it quite strange just kind of in the immediate aftermath. And, and I think still to this day, people just saying that it seems it, it just seemed like a really harsh punishment. And for me, it seems very obvious across all sports uh, across the board. I maybe maybe our Canadian listeners might be able to tell us whether in hockey it's slightly different because they seem to have a different level of what's acceptable when it comes to violence. Well, you know, on a, on a, on a, a similar but separate note to that, I played lacrosse at school and ah, university. Yes. And what was incredible was the fact there didn't seem to be any rules in the sense you could uh, actually do anything. And, and one of the, the prime objectives to get the ball was if you had to break the fingers of the person holding the lacrosse stick, you did it. If you threw a ball ah. at someone's jaw, you did it. I mean, it was it was beyond violent. And I spent a few months in goal and you're padded up like the, the Michelin man or woman, but it's absolutely terrifying. I mean, the look in the person's eyes as they're running towards you and you just had, to, it felt like you anything goes. It felt like there were no perimeters perimeters on the pitch you could go anywhere if you wanted to get the ball and you happened to break four fingers of someone's hand apparently that was allowed I mean it was very very violent so you're right in some other sports they'd be like well that's ridiculous but but can I just interrupt because all of those instances that you have 
mentioned are within the play, within live action, within the play. So, oh, yeah. for example, if you, if, if you haven't got the ball and I went up to someone and I sort of cracked them around the head, that's, that's yeah, not acceptable. <laughs> exactly. I would never play this again, ever. This is the ever. thing, that this is what people are understanding. It's not like he hit a forehand and he totally mishit it and it went straight into somebody at the, in the back fence. And as I say, I just I cannot think of a sport where when the whistle is blown, we're not playing, because that's what a change of ends is, right? It's yeah. it's time. It's just sort of kind of like, okay, time. We're having a break now, like a half time or whatever it is, quarters in American football, whatever. You're not playing. <laughs> it's nothing to do with the action. And I, I totally get it. And it's the same with hockey. Um, I suppose you know, it's, a, it's a lot more violent. But in hockey, they do seem to get away with stuff that quite clearly isn't part of the action in terms of just punching each other, you know, rip each other's helmets off and just go at it for a while. But then I don't know, maybe that gets you sent <laughs> off and maybe that's, that's what they do. But, um, and also of course in a team sport, one person getting sent off doesn't end the game. And that's clearly, yeah, that's, that's why it feels so much stronger. I think in tennis, because it's just, well, the game's over. That's it finished. Um, but yeah. So anyway, as I say, there's not really too much to add, but just that I found that quite extraordinary, the amount of people that would just think that that is absolutely fine. <laughs> I just find it bizarre. Do you think that, I, I remember talking earlier in the tournament and I said, wow, he's, uh, he's multitasking. He's juggling quite well with everything, the fallout from the summer in the Adria tour and separating off of this PTPA and then winning these matches and being the man to beat and having the target on his back and being undefeated, etc. I thought he was handling it all quite well, but maybe in hindsight and looking back, maybe he wasn't handling it at all well. And maybe the round before when he was yelling and screaming in that roar, which felt like he was trying to motivate himself. Maybe this was just too much for him. Maybe everything was just getting to him. And that's what we saw come out when it got slightly tricky, but he wasn't in any sort of trouble against Pablo Corona Busta. Yeah, I mean, maybe. There was definitely something going on because the reaction, there were two reactions in that game. The first one where he did hit it as hard as he possibly could into the side fence. And, you know, you know, I was on, I was commentating with Leon Smith at the time and he said, boy, he's got to be careful. There are people running around this court, you know, at the back of the court, a tennis court is not that wide. You've got multiple lines judges, you've got multiple ball kids all moving back into their positions. Um, so like to hit somebody is not, it's, it's not sort of like, oh, that would never, ever happen. Like it happens, you know? So I think uh, it definitely, look, there was there was something something not quite right because the reaction within the match, the level of frustration for just missing some breakpoint opportunities, uh, was very odd because he seemed quite relaxed through the match. He was kind of smiling, he was dancing before he went out on court, and we were commenting so frequently on like, wow, he seems pretty calm, pretty together here, and maybe that was it, and some, something just snapped um, because both of those incidences were just very very careless. Um, and, you know, and definitely filled with a lot of frustration in that moment. So, yeah, maybe, maybe that's what it was, but definitely something not quite right. And we weren't going to talk about it. I feel like we're talking about it quite a lot. Um, the other thing was it didn't come into press, which I personally still think he should have done. I think you come in, I think you, you speak and, and you leave, even if you just read a statement, but I think you sit there and do it. There was a statement, it seemed to be, a good statement. I mean, he seemed to sound really sorry in his statement, but I, I, I've read that Martina Navratilova said it's like breaking up with your girlfriend over email. 
you know, do it. Don't send a text. Don't send an Instagram message. Actually do it face to face. But the other thing for me, and what I can't even remember when it was, we did a podcast a few podcasts ago. And I think you asked me about Djokovic. And I think I said something along the lines of, I just don't get him as a person. I, I just, I can't warm to him. I find him very difficult. You know, it, it wasn't even that bad what I said. And then I said to you, it was just a little bit surprising or not that some of the hardened Djokovic fans must have been listening to the podcast and I started to get some abuse I mean there was lots of swear words in there there was this you know the words vile disgusting and I was I was really shocked and I'd heard from other people that Djokovic fans could do this and I'm not saying it was just Djokovic fans but then to hear that the lineswoman who got hit through no fault of her own was getting the type of abuse she was getting from people I think is absolutely outrageous. I mean, what goes through someone's mind to write such vile and disgusting things about someone? Yeah, it's not great, is it, to be honest? I mean, it's awful. I mean, it's it's horrendous, right? Well, yeah, it is. It is, but it's just, it's just different nowadays because people have got access to everybody through social media. I mean, they still yeah, would have said have it before. You can have access to people, but you don't put it out there, right? You don't wish horrible things upon some person's family. But for there are something some horrible that she people had... out there and then they're, and they're yeah, also quite terrible. loud. They tend to be the loudest. You know, the people who are very nice tend to be much quieter. And that's, and that's the trouble is that you can, you know, like you experience, you only get one or two tweets that are really nasty but they just happen to be sort of the loudest voices and that sort of thing and and look I might be a bit kind of laissez-faire about it because tennis players we deal with this every single match you play especially every single match you lose we get horrific abuse all the time so I'm a bit more sort of switched off to it but yeah I mean it's it, I mean I can't imagine I mean, there's no way I would ever associate myself with somebody that I knew had ever written anything like that to anyone in any capacity. It doesn't matter how, like whether it was political or if you thought that somebody was full of hate or, or any. Like it doesn't matter what the situation is, to say those sorts of things. I would just, I mean, that's just not the sort of person. I, I mean, I hope I don't anyone know anyone who's done anything like that. Um, but yeah, just yeah, really, yeah, I agree. It is really horrible, but as I say, it's quite a quite a common thing we were part of a discussion yesterday the amelia group held a virtual media lounge which they've been doing throughout the us open where people can get together and ahead of a match i think ahead of one of murray's matches some journos could get together and talk about stuff and get ready for the match and we were part of a really good discussion that was to be based around college tennis and the the pros and cons mainly the pros really of going but we talked about Djokovic situation and a question i brought up which i don't think you actually answered, I'm not sure, was do you think his reputation is going to be forever tarnished by possibly not just this or just this and, and things that have happened over the last six months? Yeah, I think so. I think this year's not been great for him. But as you say, it's it, you know his hardcore group of fans, they're not going anywhere. He could do anything, to be honest. I don't think they would really care at all. Um, it's just more people who are just kind of involved in the world of tennis. And I suppose they see how Federer acts, Nadal acts, Djokovic acts. And this is just another reason for people to sit there and go, yep. And you wonder why people, you know, don't like you as much as Roger and Rafa. Because Roger and Rafa, you know, would have dealt with that differently. Um, and, yeah, I, I I think, of course, it's going to damage 
his sort of reputation, I think this year, I think the PTPA is potentially something that could be the most negative if it doesn't work out, if it doesn't get the level of support from the other big tennis players. Um, because yes, there are some tennis players in the PTPA, you know, but there's no Roger, there's no Rafa, there's no Andy in terms of, you know, the, the status. He's kind of out on his own with it, really. Okay, you've got John Isner and and some obviously some quality players in there, but um, it doesn't seem like there's much consensus across the board. So I think seeing how that plays out, for me, that could be the, the most damaging. When you were playing, where were we at with social media? Like how much... So Instagram right, didn't exist when you were playing. Is that right? No. Did Twitter? Yeah, so Twitter had just come in. Um, and yeah, so we were kind of dealing with the... Uh, the abuse that was that was coming from coming from uh twitter and it was a bit strange at first because you didn't really know what to do with it but also we get got a lot of messages on facebook um oh. and it's always one of those things that on on facebook they they do actually filter out a lot of it i mean a lot gets through but a lot gets filtered out and it goes into a separate folder and then i don't know something like six years later or something i just happened to find this oh, folder no. and i was like wow okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's i mean it was all more of the same it was not you know as I say, it was nothing, nothing new. You you have to detach yourself from it. You have to, the, the best way to combat this stuff is to think about who that person is and what is going on in their life that leads them to, to write that sort of tweet. And then you realize that there's somebody that you just don't care about and you're just not interested in. You don't care about their opinion. They clearly don't know anything. And off you go. You're never going to see them, are you? But were you, did you have to be, did you have to learn to become hardened to it? I mean, did you used to get very upset or right from the start with kind of your personality? Were you able to, because I think that, that, you know me, I think that would kill me. I mean, when I got that abuse from those Djokovic fans, I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. So I don't think, I don't think I'd be very good at handling kind of constant abuse. You've got to rationalise it. And as I say, you think about that person sat at home with nothing better to do, with all that hatred filled and they're just lashing out, you know, just, just whatever. I mean, uh, for me that is actually the, the best way some people just deal with it in terms of just totally ignoring it and just black it out like block it off and just be like I'm not dealing with it and then for me I found the best way was to actually think about that person and their life and realize that it's just I have no interest or I'm just not bothered about what they think in any way like I have a group of people I'm bothered about what they think but I'm not really bothered about other people and it's similar you know I suppose the tough thing is that you can't um, totally block yourself off from it at all. Even if you didn't have social media or whatever, it gets through to you. People will send you pictures of comments. People will 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 do this stuff that I don't know why they do it, but they just think you might be interested in it. Like, oh, look what this person said, and like, I, this, why have you sent me that? <laughs> this is horrible. Um, and it was similar even with the press. So when I first started. Um, started playing I read everything because that's what most people do is they read everything that's written about them in the papers um, or online and then when you realize that this is largely nonsense largely not very nice um, then you stop but then people still come up to you and they show you and they say oh have you seen this and it's an article about you or whatever. They're physically showing you the paper or, or whatever. Sometimes it could be family members and they're all well-meaning, you know. And then they'll say something sort of like, oh, well, you know, all press is good press and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm really sure. So there isn't really a way to, to completely block yourself off from it. Um, it's like in press conferences. 
if you don't want to know who you're playing in the next round or whatever, they'll tell you. So you've got, no, you've got no choice. You have to know. They'll say, you're in Serena's section. And you'll go, okay. Like, it's, it's, so you can, that's why I think it's better to try and deal with it in terms of actually think about it for what it actually is and what it actually means in your life. And it's just, it, it's less than nothing. Did you ever have an instance where when you finished playing and now you work in the media that you came across a, a journalist or not that they necessarily apologised for writing something that was negative about you, but they spoke to you about a piece they did or have you ever felt the need to speak to a journalist about something they wrote about you in the years since? Uh, there definitely had been, there were a couple of instances where the pieces were not brilliant um, and I think the most frustrating thing is when you've spoken to somebody, you've given them an interview, you've given them your time and that's fine. They've given their time to it as well. And then they deliberately misquote you and they deliberately take things out of context. That is the most frustrating thing. And that makes you just go, do you know what? I don't want to talk to you again then. Like I can't be bothered because I did explain it. I did, you know, I did explain myself. You knew full well where I was coming from and you've just made this up because it's more helpful to you and that sort of thing. I think one of the hard things for players is that is the understanding because often the the headline is not very good and not very nice and not very accurate but the main body of the article could actually be fine and it's that understanding that the person who wrote the article is not in charge of writing the headline and it's somebody else who will skim through the article and just whack up a headline for it um so that's there's been a couple of occasions like that where I've not been particularly happy with the headline and I have had people come up to me and say um like I'm sorry about the headline but I hope the article was fine because it, it just it didn't reflect the piece it wasn't fair it wasn't accurate it was just kind of a bit bizarre and if you actually read the piece you'd be like what um but that that is something that I mean I learned very young because they explained it to me they said yeah this is just how it works everywhere we just we don't write headlines we write articles that's what we're paid for um and so just kind of understanding that but look again I just think the more understanding you have of the other side the, the the better so I just kind of took it upon myself to chat to people and learn what they would do it because once that sort of thing came out I was like oh okay right that that makes sense there's going to be more stuff like that that I assume I know but I don't uh, and then I would ask them about it and then you just kind of realize who the good ones are <laughs> that you're going to spend your time on um, and you're happy to kind of say yes to them if they want you know you to do stuff. And then there are some others that you just say just oh whatever. <laughs> now I want to talk about mothers, and I want to talk about mothers for two reasons. Firstly, because we've got an awful lot of mothers still going strong. We're recording this. What day is it? Is it Wednesday? See, because I'm not at home, I don't have bin collection, so I don't know what day it is. Like I had a friend, oh, I, had a, I had a friend say to me, um, how was your weekend? And I was like, weekend, how was my weekend? Because as you know, during a tournament, whether you're at the tournament or we're doing it remotely, every, it's like it, in a good way, it's like Groundhog Day. Yeah. You know, every, I've every, kind of forgotten how long Grand Slams are, you know, because yeah, we haven't had one for so long. And still you're like, two oh, weeks. Wow, okay. Yeah. Still got a long time to go. But you know what I mean, how it feels when you're in it. And it's very, you, you, and don't you, when you're working on it, unless you are at home so Wimbledon I will go home every day and come back every day and but you have a routine don't you wherever you are you'll have a routine depending yes. on what time zone you're working or where you are there'll be certain things you do so uh, I don't know a, a Tuesday is the same as 
Saturdays. So there's people going, hey, how was your weekend? I was like, uh, oh, I, uh, I think, what day is it? So it's, it's Wednesday. Is it Wednesday? Is it Wednesday? Yes, it's Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> She's correct. <laughs> okay. It's Wednesday today. Uh, oh, that reminds me. I've got to call home, let them know to put the bins out tonight, which is another good reminder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you suppose you don't mean it. You just know it's quarterfinals day. Yes, so it's quarterfinals. It's... And as we record this, we've still got some mothers in. And I'm talking singles and doubles because Vera Zvonareva is through to the women's doubles final. Yes, Vera. Uh, <laughs> we have We have mothers... As we record this, in Victoria Zarenka, Serena Williams, and Svetlana Peronkova, have I missed anyone? Have I got all the mothers still in? Well, three, three in the singles. Yep. So and Zvonareva got, in the dubs. I've got all my mothers still in, which is, and they're all, we could go through them all. They are all fantastic stories, but I think that the one we haven't spoken about as much, and I know that um, Ben and Courtney did a really good podcast early on with Svetlana Peronkova. For me, I mean, this is just. This is just sensational. I mean, she hasn't played a tournament since Wimbledon 2017. And here she is playing for a place in the US Open semi-final. I know she's got Serena Williams. I know that. But it, it, it what a fairy tale this is for Peronkova. Oh, I mean, it's just amazing. I don't... I never thought this would happen, not because she's not good enough, but just physically. How does your body hold up? You have not played matches in so, so long. Uh, and I just think, for me, the, the big thing is the reflection on the rules that have been brought in by the WTA and that this is possible because this was never possible before. Azarenka did not get a protected ranking. Um, you know, she had to use wild, wild cards. And as a double Grand Slam champ, you can use wild cards. The rule was brought in to have a protected ranking for maternity leave uh, when Serena, when it happened with Serena. That was the real high-profile one, which is kind of fair enough. I mean, she's Serena. Uh, that was the real high-profile one. And then they changed the rule because... It's less about these top players, as I say, the Grand Slam champs in Azarenka and Serena. It's much more about the Peronkovas, the Marias, the, the players that, uh, that are real quality WTA players, but they might want to go and have a baby. And as I say, we think back to Kim Kleisters again. It's not really about her. It's fantastic what she did back then. But they will all be fine because they'll get their wild cards and you know they'll be, they'll be kind of off and running and it still it still means that it's fantastic what they're able to achieve but Peronkva for me is the real story because this is important and it is a it's a part of of tennis that I've always wanted to see in the landscape of the it is fine you can go and have a baby and you can come back and we will give you a chance you will have your protected ranking for a certain amount of events for a certain amount of time and and that will be the ranking at which you left when you stopped playing. And then you can, um, then you've got some time and it was two years. It's now been increased to three years. And for Peronkova, after two years, she wasn't interested in coming back. She wasn't really thinking about coming back to being a professional tennis player, but it was probably about, yeah, two and a half where she was like, okay, actually I do want to do this again. Um, and, it, and it is a significant amount of time because remember, it's not like you can play through the nine months of pregnancy, <laughs> um, you know, like a normal job. You might work up until your due date and then uh, then you have the time of afterwards. You have to pretty much, you know, when you're you're quite pregnant. Well, I mean, Mandy Manella, how, how many weeks pregnant was she when she played at Wimbledon in doubles? Sort of 10? Well, exactly. 10 and you get some, well, you come and you get some people that, that are running marathons until they give birth. 
Oh yes, sure. But I think, <laughs> I think playing tennis <laughs> matches was, was quite tough. Um, no, I, I know what you mean. But so of course it has to be. I mean, like eighteen months is just the absolute minimum, really, which is what we saw yeah. from Serena. Um, a li- I think just a little shy of eighteen months. Um, and you know, but as I say, this is about your your average, and they're not average in terms of the way they play tennis, but. In, the professional tennis players. It's not about the superstars. Your professional tennis players, your Peronkovas, your Marias, your Manellas, the fact that they can go away, have a baby and come back, that's fantastic. And I think three years is a really good amount of time because as we say, Peronkova thought, well, actually I've kind of got the hunger back, got the itch to play again. And then she's like, well, actually, you know, I've still got six months to use this protected ranking. What an opportunity. I don't have to start all the way from scratch. So let's do that. Like, let's let's use that and just see. Because you could play for a year and see. And maybe you go, ah, actually, I'm not sure. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain she's quite sure that it's the right decision now. She's doing all right. But, you know, I, I, I mean, for me, I love it because it was never an option. And it was something that, not that I was considering having children at the time, but just something you're aware of that really you can't, as a player, you just couldn't really have kids until you know, your mid thirties like to, to begin with, because if you're going to play a full career, unless you would do something like Kim did and take that time out. But now anyone can do that. Anyone can take that time out, um, come back, have that ranking, have that boost. It doesn't mean you're going to fly all the way back to the top like Peronkova has, but you have the opportunity to do it. You've got Zvona Reva, you know, it's, it, it's great. And I think, there's an awful lot of talk about it. And I think particularly Azarenka was getting a little bit fed up of it when she said, I'm not in the quarterfinals because I'm a mother. I'm in the quarterfinals because I'm a tennis player. I'm here as a tennis player. But once we get used to this and once we just get more and more coming through, it won't be something that we'll talk about. But it is absolutely something we should be proud of and a fantastic development, I think, for the WTA. Absolutely. I mean, Poronkova said, I think this goes for most mothers, whatever you do, that when you have children, things change and they become your number one priority. And I, and I guess especially for a tennis player, right, you, you have to be very selfish creatures. I mean, that's a, that's a positive thing. You've got to be selfish. You've got to think about yourself. And she said, you know, for the first time, there's this, this little guy, she had a little boy, who that's my priority. And it made her think about things differently. But she also had the time to work out what she wanted to do. She started a clothing line as well. She's come back. I mean, it's, uh, I just, yeah, I think it's an incredible story. But on the flip side of that, it's also getting very tough because she's never really been away from her son. And because of, yes, Serena Williams has has brought her daughter with her financially she has the resources she can rent the house and bring the whole family I know that Victoria Zarenka as a a single parent she's brought her son with her too but Peronkova she's come with her brother who's her coach but she hasn't brought her son and she was saying look this is really tough because she's had to be in the bubble initially to stay there to prove that she is COVID free. And now she's gone on this long run. And, and, and it's, it's the, I mean, look, this is the first time I've been away from my children since lockdown. And it, it is tough. I know I could get home in a short space of time if I needed to, but I'm already thinking about going to the French where I'm probably going to be away for around three weeks. And it, it's, it's really difficult, but I guess I've been doing it for a while now. So you can see with Peronkova, that's, but she said, look, he would be proud. He knows why I'm here. But that's something else. It's just a very, I think it's a very different person that you come back as after having a child or having children. 
Um, and, but I think it, I think it's great, and I think it's great that we're talking about it. And I think, as you say, it shows other players that they can almost have it all because before there was that ceiling: have a career, stop, then become a mum if that's what you wanted. But now they're being said that you can go have a, have a child and or children, and if you so wish, you can come back and still still achieve great things. Yeah, which is which is how it should be, really. I think it it's, it should just be you should be able to have a choice if you want to have a break in the career. I mean, look, there are it's already tough enough in terms of even if you get your ranking back and and um, say you use your protected ranking and you do what as rank has done and Pronkov has done. It's already tough enough, as you're saying, to leave your kids for that amount of time. It's incredibly difficult physically, which we saw with Serena because she came back so. Uh, quickly after her birth somebody like Azarenka had all sorts of domestic issues when it came to her family that she had to try and deal with that she never had to deal with before um and uh, you know it's taken her a long time to get her level back to to where it was because you remember the last two tournaments she played before she uh had her son she won Indian Wells and Miami back to back I think I believe yes she did the sunshine double and was playing in a, just in an amazing fashion. So have we seen that level from Azarenka since? We haven't. But it, it, this has been a real breakthrough sort of couple of weeks with her winning the Western Southern Open and then her coming here and, and doing incredibly well. So fingers crossed we can get her, like, well, not we, I can't do anything about it, but fingers crossed <laughs> we see her, um, you know, back up at that high level, you know, for me, which is where she belongs. You know, you always think Victoria Azarenka and you just think world class tennis player needs to be at the top of the game so there are already so many added difficulties and if you pile in on top of that of oh you have to start all over again and go and play some 15ks and then 25ks and then work your way up I think it's incredibly it, it becomes far too daunting I think and I believe that more players would have come back if they had this special ranking Pironkova would not have come back without it I think that's fairly obvious um and yeah because even if you win like every tournament you play it still takes like 18 months two years to get kind of up to the the 100 mark and you know credit to Zvonna Rava because she did it didn't she she started from the bottom and and worked her way up so you know it's it's just it's a change that was necessary it almost feels like why didn't this happen before but you can kind of understand that Serena really was the, the trigger for it. But as I say, it's not about the Serenas, your Azarenkas, your Grand Slam champs, your Kim Kleisters. This is about players like Peronkova and the fact that she can now continue her career after having her son. She has every right to, and she's awesome. Now, I don't know if you knew this. I don't know if you've ever looked at the, the tennis fine print, but we actually have one of our laws in our tennis fire print is we have a protected ranking for mothers who are able to use this protected ranking if they should need to and then should like to come straight back into co-presenting the podcast. Ah, okay. <laughs> so so um, I was wondering if if that is something you would be interested in in using at some point. I'll book it I'll book it off. Yes. Well, I will be hopefully joining the uh uh the, the group of mothers soon so I will finally be under, able to understand <laughs> all of your your situations so um yes I am indeed 
pregnant, which has definitely contributed to... People may have noticed in the last few podcasts me getting quite out of breath when I've been talking passionately about something. <laughs> I'm just telling you, my lungs are being crushed. That is the situation. <laughs> Things are now very the, full. The questions that people will be wanting me to ask... I mean, I know the answers because we talk to each other every day. We're going on long walks up Manchester. But how has your pregnancy been? Uh, yeah, it's fine. It's it's definitely on the lighter side of things. I think if you had like a scale of one to ten as to how difficult pregnancy can be, definitely down the sort of smoother end. Doesn't mean it's not hard though. Just just as a warning, <laughs> because other people have always said to me like, "Oh yeah, it's fine." You know, my yeah, mine was fine, that sort of thing. But then actually, even yeah, it's fine means it's quite a lot of work it's kind of a full-time job really um so yeah it, it's 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 been absolutely fine so no no issues but it, it's tiring it's difficult it's not the most comfortable as I say my my lungs have been struggling a little bit which for me has probably been the worst thing and I know everybody's different um but it's just slightly irritating when my job is to talk uh, and sometimes talk very quickly. <laughs> it's honestly, I swear, the, the the things that I've I've struggled with is um, hiccups. I've had just kind of constant hiccups for months. Really? Yeah. I haven't noticed that. Okay. You haven't hiccuped during a pod yet? No, I, I, I have. Well, I've got a microphone in my hand. I can kind of move it away. Um, hiccups, kind of like sort of little burps and getting out of breath and all three of them are terrible for anything to do with talking on air so if anybody's heard my commentary or has been listening to this podcast and just thought what is going on I do apologize but it's uh, yeah it's quite difficult there's been some good Jaffa cake eating when we record pods so they're coming in around breakfast time now I'd say the yeah, Jaffa cakes earlier and earlier excellent any any particular craving for anything no, not really, which is disappointing. I was kind of looking forward to sending Ben out on some sort of uh, expedition to go and find me something really obscure. Like pickled onions at yeah, three o'clock in the morning. Exactly, yeah. something like that. But no, not really. Just just plain food. Just, you know, your potatoes, your pasta, bread. Nice. I nice. could have lived well, off that, I think. I've known, because we, it was nice. When you came up here, I'd sort of go out running in the morning, come back, and then we'd go for a really long walk. Yeah, which was I really nice. Run with you. <laughs> although I run so slowly you probably could have done you could have just walked and I could have run alongside you but then we'd go and eat because pregnant women need to eat and when a pregnant woman wants to eat you eat I mean you don't you don't say can we go later and what a pregnant woman wants to eat you eat you see I'm I thought it was a very good I was a very good food partner for you because it was kind of like if you said we went to the same restaurant every day when you're up here which is a lovely restaurant right but I was just like you want it we're there because when a pregnant woman needs to eat, she's got to eat. And what she wants to eat, she needs to eat. Do you see what I mean? I totally see what you mean. That is, yeah. it's very true. Food is basically, everything revolves around food in my day now. Everything else is secondary. <laughs> uh, that's just kind of the way it goes. But uh, yes, yeah, so it will be, uh, fingers crossed, in November. End of November. That's when uh, when I'm due. And you're still playing tennis or have you stopped now still playing um right absolutely. how is your tennis pregnant do you know what it's actually it's actually kind of fine as long as i don't have to move very much <laughs> when it comes to point i haven't played points no points no serving so it's it's definitely limited <laughs> in a sense. Uh, but from the back of the court no no everything's fine as long as i figured out that it's if the contact point is right i can hit it just as i used to hit it like no problem but when that contact point is slightly late slightly off that sort of thing 
I, you, you tend to sort of muscle through it. You basically squeeze and you just force a, a kind of a decent shot out of it, even though so it's not effortless. It becomes a bit full of effort. Uh, and I'm just I'm just super floppy. I can't I can't get anything <laughs> on it at all. Yeah, I think I think now would be the perfect time for us to play each other. <laughs> yes, I, I feel with you quite heavily pregnant. I might stand a chance of just getting out there thinking, yeah, OK, tennis, I'm OK at this. <laughs> I think this will be the only time I should ever step out onto a court with you. Quite, quite possibly. Um, it's definitely you've definitely got a good, good chance. That's for sure. But no, but it's still fun, and I'm still um, very much enjoying it. Doing that and a lot of walking, and uh, and then working, of course. And has has it been different being pregnant during this pandemic in terms of? I don't know, going to the hospital and stuff. Is it just felt a little bit, because I've heard from friends who are pregnant as well, that it's it's just a little bit different in terms of you kind of go on your own. It's kind of, I don't know, it's just different. Right? Yeah, it's a bit rubbish, really. It's, it's a bit rubbish. Um, yeah, I mean, Ben can't come to any of the appointments and we're just, yeah, you just kind of have to soldier on on your own. But hey, I'm used to that. So it's not, I'm not too fussed at all. I just kind of go, to be honest, I'm like, eh, you don't need to be here. It's fine. It feels a bit weird me saying congratulations because I've known for an awfully long time. But on behalf of our listeners, uh, congratulations and well, thanks, listeners. <laughs> this, this, I think the podcast would be a great if you've got any questions while you're pregnant or the little one. If anyone wants to give Naomi any advice for these final few months and all those kind of bits, then then do let us know. But we're still going to talk as much tennis as before. I mean, Naomi might blame like baby brain for a few things. Well, the loose facts yeah. might get looser. To be honest, I'm I think anybody who's been listening to this podcast for long enough will, will realise it's not baby brain. It's just, I just forget stuff. Just don't remember things right. So there you go. Yeah, just just use it. Just use it. For, I think I used it for, I used it for about three years post-birth of the twins. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> they were like, so how old are you children now? Oh, just three. <laughs> they were like, okay, you've really got to sort that out. But uh, no, congratulations from everyone. We're still going to keep talking tennis we're still going to keep we're still going to keep going and we're going to enjoy the rest of this this u.s open and the next time are we going to do it in person next week are we working no i don't think we are no No. not next week i think we're both working on rome but for separate people is that right yeah so i don't think we'll be able to record together then um and yeah and then you'll be in france so no yeah, I mean, we didn't get round to him. We'll do it in the next pod about Roland Garros. That You know, they've announced a lot of things. I know a few things about what will happen with me when I'm working out there. So loads of that for you, I think, next week. Yes. And obviously rounding up everything that happened at the US Open and any pregnancy updates. So yes. what more could you want? Right, you need to go and have a rest and a Jaffa cake. Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty good pretty good plan. <laughs> uh, and then watch some tennis. Rest well, eat your Jaffa cakes and enjoy the tennis. Yeah, and you. Maybe not the Jaffa cakes. Ha, 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 ha.